And I, I doubt he's going to watch this, but he's, he's got a great testimony. I mean, all the way to the bottom and uh, got saved through the Jesus People movement back in the 60s. Um, and he, he's a self-proclaimed hippie. And whatever idea you have of a hippie, Bob probably was that and did all of the things that you might be thinking about right now. <laughs> but uh, he has a great testimony. The Lord saved him when he had hit absolute rock bottom, and it was great. But anyways, um, like I say, it's, it's Pentecost Sunday, and for us, it's Pentecost Sunday every Sunday kind of thing. Um, but uh, I'll explain this label uh, in a little bit uh, as we continue on to, in, into this. We're taking a break from our normal journey through the Bible to talk about this today, just because I just felt the Lord saying, hey, Let's talk about this. We don't do this every Pentecost Sunday. Every now and then I might bring it up, but uh, I wanted to today, partially because our kids are also talking about it. For, so for those of you that have kiddos in, in, in uh, the kids' church downstairs, you can come back and kind of talk to them about that and be able to kind of share as a family. So, uh, so the day of Pentecost, really it's actually one of the seven feasts that the Lord declared for Israel to celebrate back in the book of Leviticus, all the way back, long time ago, Leviticus chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open there first. We are going to bounce a little bit in the Bible, so just be prepared for that, but I will kind of go in order. So you can know that you can flip the pages, and we're not going to go back and forth, so you will you don't have to worry about, oh my goodness, I hope I kept my finger in the right spot. We won't do that to you today. But... Um, we're going to look at this. The Feast of Pentecost was more commonly known as the Feast of Weeks, which you'll see why it was called that uh, as we read its description here in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, starting at verse 15. Uh, the Lord speaking through Moses to Moses, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering which was part of the uh, Feast of, of first fruits that was mentioned earlier. Um, so, or uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So here we go, verse 18. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of, of an ephah. Uh, they shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs, a year old, as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall, do, uh, you shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So the Feast of Weeks is technically an agricultural feast to celebrate the beginning of the harvest is really what it was. You've got a total of seven feasts that are here. You've got Passover. You've got the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits. Then you have the Feast of Pentecost or Feast of Weeks. And then after that is the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast or the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths, however they, they say that. Now, um, 
As it is with the entirety of the Old Testament, these seven feasts in Leviticus 23 point to Christ and his work. That's the, that's the whole point of the Old Testament is to show us Jesus Christ and the, and the saving work of God the Father. It is commonly understood that the first four have, have already been fulfilled by Christ, while the last three will be fulfilled in the end times. Now, there may be some points of debate on this, uh, at least with the last three, but that's not our discussion today. Today, we're talking about the Feast of Weeks. If you want to discuss the last three at some other time, you can do that either with yourself. Maybe I can get together with you, whatever. But, but the main thing we're looking at today is the Feast of Pentecost. So let's fast forward a couple thousand years to the book of Joel in Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel has a a pretty intriguing prophecy. Uh, A lot of it is kind of doom and gloom, destruction. There's there's a drought, there's locusts, there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening. But within the book of Joel, God gives a very powerful, amazing prophecy that changes how God kind of works with us. So if you have your Bibles, open to Joel chapter 2. I'll just read two of the verses here. We'll read the rest of it later on. Uh, we won't go back to it, though. Uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, friends, this was a big prophecy. This was a huge prophecy. This was a monumental shift in how God was working with, and how God would be working with mankind. So we're going to read some scripture in Acts today. Some of you probably know we're going to be going there. But before this event in the book of Acts, before that time, the Lord only placed his Holy Spirit on certain individuals. There are only certain individuals throughout the Old Testament and even into the Gospels where only certain people got the Holy Spirit. Usually they were kings, priests, and prophets. Now, were they prophets because the Lord put the Holy Spirit on them? Or were they prophets and then God put the Holy Spirit? I don't know. It's the chicken or the egg kind of argument. That doesn't really matter. What matters is is typically what happened was it was the king, the priest, and a prophet, and those folks were the ones that usually had the power of the Holy Spirit on them. One time it was a donkey. Some of you may remember Balaam's mule. Um, but the Lord only, okay, you get the Holy Spirit, you get the Holy Spirit, you get the Holy Spirit. And so when Joel, he comes out and says, listen, it's not going to be that way anymore. But for those that want to follow me, that want to follow my son, there's going to be a time when I'm going to pour it over all people. Every single man, every single woman, no matter what, you, again, no matter what your gender, no matter what your race, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter your income level, no matter what you're doing, you have the availability of the Holy Spirit is what God is prophesying here. Monumental shift, huge, huge difference in the way God was going to be doing these things. So the beginning of that shift was sending Jesus to earth. So you fast forward another, that's eh, probably not quite a thousand years, but you, you fast forward again and you got Jesus who comes to earth. Now while on earth, three of the first, uh, four feasts are fulfilled by Christ that we just talked about. First of all, he fulfills Passover. Jesus was the Passover lamb and his blood covers our lives, allowing death to pass us by. Um, if you ever wanted to look into the actual uh, 
um, the actual Passover, you, you can look back in Exodus. But concerning Jesus as the Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 speaks of that. You also have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What is unleavened bread? Unleavened bread is bread that doesn't have yeast or any kind of rising agent, including baking sodas and stuff like that. But more commonly, they used yeast back then. So the, the idea of yeast is symbolic in sin in a person's life. Maybe you remember the verse, you know, a little yeast works through the entire dough. A little bit of sin works through the entire person, the entire body of a man. So with Jesus Christ, he was what? Sinless, right? So he did not have sin. So the idea of unleavened bread, he fulfills that as Jesus lived a sinless life, and you've got plenty of scriptures, 1 John 3, 5, 2 Peter 2, 22, Hebrew 4, 15, a bunch of verses that discuss how Jesus lived a sinless life while here on earth. And then finally, that third feast, the Feast of first fruits. This deals with Christ's resurrection where Paul states that Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23. During his entire time on earth, though, Jesus often spoke of sending another counselor, another comforter, another helper, literally calling him the Holy Spirit. But to the chagrin of his disciples, he had to leave in order to do that. So he fulfills the first three feasts, and he talks about the Holy Spirit coming, and that's going to fulfill the fourth feast. But he had to leave in order for that to happen. John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says to his disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So they wanted Jesus to leave, but they didn't want Jesus to leave. You all understand. You all get it, right? Grandma, grandpa. You don't want grandma and grandpa to leave. But at some point, grandma and grandpa are going to have to leave. It's the same with Christ. He's going to have to leave. He's going to have to go. But the great thing with Christ is he's going to send that Holy Spirit and fulfill the prophecy that was given in Joel chapter 2. So Jesus dies. He rises and has some parting words for his disciples prior to ascending into heaven. We're going to read some of those words in Acts chapter 1. So skip over to Acts chapter 1. Again, not quite a 1,000 years, maybe 800, 700 years later from Joel chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 3, Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, thank God that Jesus, when he said not many days, meant it literally. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, to God, a thousand years is but a day, and a day is like a thousand years. Could you imagine if he's like, ah, just wait like 10 more days, you know, and that's like, like 10,000 years, Jesus. Is that what we're waiting for? Is that what it's going to be? You have a bunch of skeletons up in a room in Jerusalem. We were just waiting like Jesus told us to. No, praise God that he was literal. And 10 days later, the Holy Spirit shows up in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Remember last week, uh, for those of you that were with us, how we discussed um, that God will use new things when he's doing new things. He's going to use new things when he's doing new things. So the first thing that we see here are the tongues of fire. There's little flames on each of their heads. What did that represent, and why don't we see that anymore? Well, what that mainly was was a representation that God had accepted human beings, the body, the physical body, as the temple of his Holy Spirit, as the temple in which God would would rest. You know, you had the tabernacle that was a tent in the wilderness during the time of Moses that was built, and then finally Solomon comes around. Technically, David wanted to do it, but he couldn't do it, so Solomon builds a temple, and that's where the presence of God rested. And when Solomon built the temple... He goes out, they have a great big kind of party, I guess you could say, and they rejoiced over the Lord, and they rejoiced over the fact that they were able to build this temple. They set up a sacrifice, they set up an offering, there was an altar there, there were animals on the altar. Solomon says a really amazing prayer, it's, it's awesome, it's powerful, and then what, come, what, what happens? Whoosh! Fire comes down, boom, burns up the entire altar. And God says, this place is good. This is where I'm going to hang out until my son comes back. Okay, this is how we're going to do this. This is how it's going to work. Now, granted, you guys are all going to mess it up. It's going to get torn down. It's going to get pretty ugly. But for the moment, this is where it's going to be. And he accepted it by sending that fire. So when those folks were up in the upper room there, doing as Jesus had commanded them to wait for the Holy Spirit, those tongues of fire go over their head as God symbolizing and signifying, listen, this is it. This is where it is now. You are each going to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's spoken out throughout the word of God, so it wasn't just for those folks that were in the upper room. Every person that accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. The second new thing that happened, they all started speaking in different languages. What in the world? That had never happened before. There is no example of that in the Old Testament anywhere in which somebody just starts speaking a, a different language and it was, you know, it was used by the Holy Spirit in that way. This was something completely new. The speaking in tongues was also new. The early church actually used speaking in tongues as a sign that people had received the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, uh, you have a story of a guy named Cornelius. He was a Roman a centurion. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And um, he's... Uh, Peter is sitting on a roof. He gets a vision of all these unclean animals. God says, hey, take and eat one of these animals. Peter's like, no, I would never do that, God, because I'm so good and awesome. I would never break your laws. And God kind of puts him in his place and says, listen, don't call what I've called clean unclean. Now take and eat. And he does it a couple of times because Peter's kind of stubborn. If you didn't know that about Peter, that's kind of the way he is. And so in the middle of the vision, all of a sudden, someone comes up and says, hey, you got to go. There's a guy named Cornelius, and you need to talk to him. And so he goes down, and he goes over to Cornelius' house. Again, it's a Gentile's house, and he's sitting there, and he's talking to him. And as they're talking to him, the Holy Spirit fills them. They hear the message of the gospel. They hear the message of salvation. This is amazing. It's powerful. It's, it's awesome for all of us sitting in this room who are not Jewish people. It's, it's, it's one of those major turns in how the Lord was working, because it wasn't just the Jews either. It was now the Gentiles. Not that God only worked in the Jews, that's what they thought, but, but anyways, it, it, was, it, was, it was a huge situation. So Peter, 
he sees these guys accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and then all of a sudden, they start speaking in tongues too, just like the folks did in Jerusalem at the time when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And look what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 45 through 46. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. That was the sign to them that, whoa, the Holy Spirit has moved upon this person a different way because they're speaking in a different language, whether it was a heavenly language or a, a actual earthly language. We'll talk about that in a minute. Our church is a part of a denomination that still believes this. The Holy Spirit comes upon a believer in a special way and literally prays through a person. Paul writes in Romans 8.26 that the Holy Spirit will pray through us when we don't have the words. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now listen, friends, not everyone will speak in public with a spiritual language. Not everybody does that. But the opportunity for every believer to receive the gift of tongues and be built up spiritually, as the Bible tells us that's what it's for, it's to edify us, it's to build us up, is available to every single person that claims Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Now why would you want this gift? Simply put, friends, the Holy Spirit will pray for things that you can't pray for, or maybe that you won't pray for. That's a big one, right? I don't want to pray that. Too bad. That's what you need to pray. Lord, your Holy Spirit's going to have to pray through me then. That's why the Bible so often says, pray in the Spirit, because the Spirit knows what needs to happen. The Spirit knows the prayers that need to be prayed. So there are a bunch of people in Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost, and they hear all the people in that place speaking the various languages where they're from. So these guys are actually hearing earthly languages, not spiritual language, but earthly languages. They come up and they're like, oh my goodness, there's a bunch of people speaking all sorts of stuff. We came here to celebrate Pentecost, and here these guys are speaking in languages, yet none of these guys are from the areas that we are from. What is going on here? Some of them are curious. Some of them make fun of them. They've been drinking all morning, I'll bet you. It's Pentecost. Time to party. Let's booze it up. I'll bet you these guys are already drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, but I'm sure they were working third shift. They got off, and now they just want to party. Amazingly, Peter, the one who is known for sticking his foot in his mouth often, gets to fix all of this. He gets to stand before the people and say, hey, here's what's going on. So Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Again, that's like nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what, we, what was uttered through the prophet Joel. We just read this, verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then Peter goes a little bit further, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord 
Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he continued to read. He Well, didn't read it. He actually recited it. Is that cheering? Awesome. Thank you. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, so, so he goes on in, in Joel where we, where we dropped off, but, but he comes out and he says, listen, this is the prophecy that's being fulfilled that a good chunk of you know about, because a new, a lot of them knew this and a lot of them understood this. So he goes on to speak of Christ's death and his resurrection. And then he continues on verse 32, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter declares, hey, Jesus made it. He got to the right hand of the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the promised comforter, the promised helper, that he said he was going to do. Now, why did God do this? What is the purpose of sending the Holy Spirit? As we mentioned, Christ spoke of the Holy Spirit as another comforter, as another counselor, as another helper. So really what the Holy Spirit is, uh, the Holy Spirit is spiritually to people what Jesus was physically to the disciples, though the Holy Spirit still does work in physical ways. We'll talk about that in a second. But what was spiritual, what's spiritual to us was physical to the disciples with Jesus. So he sends the Holy Spirit to be that additional helper. As, as, as the disciples looked at Christ for guidance, for leadership, for, for education, for all of those kinds of things, for the miracles, guess what? We're to look to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit providing the miracles, the teaching, the education, all those things that the disciples saw in Jesus Christ, we get to see through the power of the Holy Spirit. Another reason God sent the Holy Spirit was to give us power. You will receive power on high, is what Jesus says. And the power to be what? The power to be combines. What? (laughs) Did you say that right, Pastor Dave? I did. I said it right. The power to be combines. Listen, friends, the Feast of Weeks, like we said, was a celebration of the beginning of the harvest. It was the beginning of the harvest. And I think, I don't know much about it, and I don't live in Israel, but I think it's the barley harvest, because I think the wheat harvest is a little bit later. Um, but it's, it's the beginning of the harvest season in, in that area. And so you might think, man, the beginning of our harvest season is September, October. That's because we got different grains than they do. But, but this was the beginning of the harvest. This was the beginning of celebrating that. When Christ got to heaven and the Father sent the Holy Spirit down, it was the beginning of the harvest of souls for the kingdom of Christ. What did Jesus say while he was on earth? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Now, back then, they didn't have combines. We do today, so I'm going to use that as the illustration. We've given power as combines. Combines are amazing machines, I think. And now, don't get me wrong, I am easily amused by bright, shiny lights. <laughs> so if, if you don't think they're that cool, that's perfectly fine. But, but I think they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty awesome. I mean, for a machine to take up all that grain, to chop off the stalk, let, let's just talk about corn, to chop off the stalk, take the ear off of that, scrape all the corn off the cob, chuck all the waste out the back or whatever 
it happens, and then to take all the corn that's off the cob into a hopper. I mean, I can't even do that very well. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, we're up at my grandma's cabin. My sister comes up. Hey, David, want to shuck some corn? <laughs> want to what? Want to shuck some corn? There are no cones back there. Corn! <laughs> oh, corn. Sorry. She pronounced her R's later in life when she was like 32. Anyways, we go to do that. How hard is it? You're pulling the corn off, pulling the husk. You got those stray, those stray little hairs and stuff. It's really hard to do. There is a magic way, though, right? The microwave. You stick it in the microwave for like a minute. You pop it out, and it comes right out. I don't know. There's, there's a bunch of different ways that people magically do it now. But the combine... It's amazing, is it not? To be able to do that, to be able to work with such precision. And listen, friends, that's the same precision that the Holy Spirit uses through us to bring in the harvest. And it's just as amazing. The gifts mentioned in various parts of the New Testament, most notably in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, is a way that we hop on the combine and bring in the harvest for the Lord. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 really quick here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1, says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Skip down to verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but in the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If you didn't know this, when you look at a combine in a field, you know, maybe you do know this, you got that front part that takes in the grain, right? It's, it's a head, is that what it's called? A head? Am I saying that right? It's a head. Thank you, Matt. One farmer's nodding for me. Thank you. Not leaving me hanging. Anyways, you have different heads, right? You got a different head for beans. You got a different head for corn. You got a different head for wheat. You got a different head for all, all of them, right? Because it's got to be different. Because you got to treat the grain differently. That combine is the Holy Spirit. You need different kinds of heads. And each of us, when we hop on that combine, and we have to change out the head because we have to use a different gift to reach different people. And that's what God has done. Same combine. It's all there. John Deere case, whichever one you like better. Don't, don't kill the messenger because I don't know which one's better. But anyways, you get on that combine. And you might have to shift the head. You might have to say, Lord, I need this gift. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts is what Paul tells us later on in these chapters. Go for the greater gifts. And when he talks about the greater gifts, he's talking about go for the gifts that are going to be the most effective in their work. There are a variety of heads on the combine to get a variety of crops, but it's still a combine nonetheless. There's a variety of gifts out there, but it's still the Holy Spirit that we depend on. Now, as I stated earlier, we consider ourselves a Pentecostal church. And what that means is, simply put, is we believe all of this is still as true today as it was when it was written. We still believe this is still here. 
Not only that, the Holy Spirit is still alive and active in this way as well. So maybe you're thinking, shouldn't all churches be Pentecostal then? Yes, but they're not. Why? Because they don't believe this is the truth anymore. Why? For a couple of reasons. Sounded like a bunch of kids. Why? 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 No, I'm just kidding. I wrote that. That was my... A couple of reasons here. Listen, friends. One is for a period of time, it appears that people didn't use the gifts of the Spirit. Just for a while. People just didn't do it. Is it because God didn't allow it? I mean, you do see in the book, in the Old Testament, that there were times that God did not speak. Specifically, uh, before Samuel was born, what did it say? The word of the Lord wasn't around very much. People didn't listen to the word of the Lord. It wasn't being spoken very often. That does happen, but, but I don't think that was the case. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, that the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, meaning that the Lord isn't going to force you to prophesy or really do anything. Here's how it works. Here's the spirit. You take it. Use it. Awesome. If you don't, Okay. And the Lord will literally, okay, I'll move on to the next guy. I'll move on to the next person that wants to be obedient. I'll move on to the next person that wants to follow me. So for a period of time, people didn't use it, I believe, simply because they just didn't want to. Part of it, though, is because of the education at the time. After about 100 B.C., maybe 200 B.C., the church got kind of full of itself and took advantage of a large swath of people that couldn't read, be brutally honest with you. We weren't a very literate society for a long time. I mean, like, as a whole, the earth, earthlings, weren't very literate. And so they had to depend on the church leaders to tell them what the Bible said and what to do. And sadly, some of those church leaders took advantage of it and took advantage of people and said, listen, we'll tell you what's going on. And we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that this happens. You just sit back and do that. So there was no accountability and things got crazy. And there's a lot of crazy ideologies out there. There's a lot of beliefs out there. But I think part of that, that, that kind of situation in which maybe they got nervous about something, maybe they didn't like whatever, whatever it was, it killed a lot of the work of the Spirit in people's lives because people didn't even know. I mean, it happened in the day of Paul. Paul visits the, the people in Ephesus and says, hey, have you guys received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, what in the world? We've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? Because it does happen. So, and that's... That's part of it. So one reason is that people just didn't use it. Another reason is that people think it's weird. That's really odd. That's really dumb, maybe. You guys are weird. You guys are a bunch of holy rollers. Maybe you've heard the terms before. You guys are psycho. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some out there that have really messed this up, doing things in the name of the Lord, okay? And when we lack the foundation of the word of God in what we do, that's what happens. It gets weird, and it actually is weird, and it's not correct. We need to make sure that we are following the word of God. We are told to test the spirits. So someone comes up to you and starts barking like a dog, and, hey, we're from Crossroads Church. You're not from Crossroads Church. Stop barking like a dog, because you're not a dog, (laughs) whatever it may be. You need to know the word of God, though need to know the word of God. That has to be the foundation in all of this. So some people think it's weird, so they kind of push it off, and they're like, we don't want to do this because it's weird. We don't understand it, and the person that did it over there is weird, so I'm good. I don't need this. I don't want that. Lastly, a third reason is a misunderstanding of Scripture. Some will point to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 says this, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Some people look at that and they say, see, it was supposed to stop. The Lord wrote about it in the Bible. It said it right there. Tongues will cease, prophecies will cease, word of knowledge will cease. It's all going to stop. They stop there and think it stopped for all those in the church uh, of Corinth with with those, uh, with those that had the gifts, and then they died. So they believe, okay, they received the gifts, and then after those guys were dead, then it was done. The Lord didn't work in, through the Holy Spirit in that way anymore, and those various gifts that people supposedly think they have, they don't have it. But the, here's, there's a big problem if you continue reading on in those verses. Verse number 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away. The gift of tongues, the gift of knowledge, gift of prophecy, those things are in part because we have an imperfect look of what God is trying to do. So when the perfect comes, that's when we don't need it anymore. We don't need to speak in tongues. We don't need to pray in tongues. We don't need words of prophecy. We don't need gifts of knowledge because you're standing before the almighty creator of heaven and earth and those gifts. I'm telling you right now, friends, if we want to believe that, oh, well, it's all ceased, then, then you have to say, well, then apparently the perfect has come. And not to sound sacrilegious, but if the perfect has come, I think I have a bone to pick with God. <laughs> uh, you've given me a, quite a bit of description of what perfect looks like. I love you all, but... This ain't perfect. <laughs> this, is, this is not perfect. Please say amen. <laughs> I mean, the perfect has not come yet. Jesus came, and then he went back up. And then he's going to make all things new and, and perfect them again later on in the book of Revelation. We won't go there today. But that's, that's what we have to look at. Those things cease because the perfect has come because we don't. We don't need that. So listen, friends, because of this, those outside of Pentecostalism typically believe that the Holy Spirit is there simply to convict people of their sin and point people to Jesus. But listen, friends, if that's all we view it as, let's go back to the combine illustration. Let's pretend you're a farmer. Now, I one time, uh, we took the kids out one time to to go check out a combine and the farming process with Joel. It was a blast. I'd never been in a combine. I was, I mean, it was years ago. So, I don't know, Zach was probably like three or four. I have no clue because I don't remember how old anybody is. Um, seven? Yeah, seven because Nate was really little because I had to hold Nate. But as Nate, as a seven-year-old, hopping in that combine, looking out at the windows and how high you are, there was Zach, and there was Dave. This is amazing. <laughs> Check this out. We're sitting on this big machine. It could kill animals and people, but it's not. This is amazing. I thought it was the coolest thing. I thought it was great. And, uh, you know, Joel's driving it, and he's going forward, and he's like, woo. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, Joel. Let's do this. Take out that corn. I mean, I think we're only going, what, like 15 miles per hour, but yeah, this is Talladega in the farmland, and we're just 
getting the corn in the hopper. This is awesome. Woo, keep it coming. And, and I was lucky enough to, to have to carry each kid, so I got to ride each time. And each time was the same. This is amazing. This is awesome. So we, we get done with the day. We were done with the day. Joel was not done with the day. I think he still had like 18 hours of work to do, even though there were only six hours left. And so we hop out of the combine, and Joel hops down onto the head of that combine, and he grabs a couple of the loose ears, and he gives them to my, to my kids. Now, that is not sweet corn that he was doing. That's, I don't know, feed corn, ethanol corn. I don't know. I'll tell you what it is. It's hard as a rock. <laughs> you take that thing and you chuck it at people, you're probably going to get arrested for murder. I mean, it's, it is. You pick that up, you ain't taking the kernels off of that cob. You're going to need a machine. to. You, you needed the machine to do that. So listen, friends, if you want to think that the Holy Spirit is dead and the only thing he's doing is saying, hey, there's Jesus, you better go get saved. It's like being a farmer with a bright, new, shiny combine. Nice, pretty, either green and gold, beautiful colors, or red and black. Those are pretty good, too. Anyways, okay, so you got this bright, new, shiny combine. Maybe you got a, what do they get to, like 40 rows? Can you do like 40 rows or something? I don't know, 42? I have no idea. Got this big old head on it, that, just this amazing thing. You got like a 1,000 acres to do. That's a pretty big farm, is it not? Uh, what's that? What did you say, Ray? Oh, you were, you were talking about something else and not paying attention to me. No, just kidding. Thank you, Ray Sr. Keep your boy in line, Ray. <laughs> no, no, not you, Ray Jr. Ray Sr. Keep Ray Jr. in line. <laughs> but you have this beautiful combine. Gorgeous combine. Brand new. You know it works. Everything's running. Everything's good. You got a thousand acres to cover because it's a big harvest. You decide, though, you know what? I need that combine. I got myself a knife. I'm going to go and I'm going to cut each ear, and I'm going to try to get that corn off of that cob on my own. Friends, that's what it's like to be like, eh, the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. That's great. Showed me that Jesus is the Savior. Okay, that's all I needed him for. And then you, you still have a whole harvest out there, and you pack away, you decide to pack away that combine. Now we're going to do this the hard way. Listen, friends, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen. You can't go out there with a little dagger and get the harvest in. You need the combine. You need to grab on to the power of the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you through that. Listen, friends, research is showing that Pentecostalism is the fastest growing movement in the history of Christianity. Personally, I think the reason is because people are starting to pick up the Bible, actually read it, and follow what it says. And they don't have somebody in their ear saying, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. That verse that you read in Corinthians, that doesn't happen anymore. That verse you read in Acts, that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. They don't have that in their ear. 
what they have is an open heart and an open mind saying, Lord, guide me in what's being said here. And as they read through the scriptures, and like the believers in Ephesus with Paul, I never even heard of this. This is amazing. You mean I don't have to work so hard to get the will of the Lord done? He actually equips me with this Holy Spirit guy? Gives me these gifts? I can go through all of these things? This is amazing. Friends, I think that's why it's growing. And I want to encourage you guys to do the same thing. We talk about it a lot. To get into the word to get into the word. Friends, as you read the word and you see the Lord doing the things that he does, I mean, especially, you know, I always considered what they're called the epistles, the letters, you know, like Romans, 1st and Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you know, all those different books. They're great books, of course, the word of God. But they're kind of like self-help. If you want the testimonies, though, of the Holy Spirit working through people, get into the book of Acts. Just read it one day. It's amazing. Some of you may not have ever read that book. You may not have thought that it was that interesting because some of you, it, it titles The Acts of the Disciples. And you might think, I don't care about the disciples. That's fine. Change the title. It's The Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing to see the power of what the Lord did in their lives. And guess what, friends? It's, it's around. He's around for each and every single one of you if you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This will deepen your personal faith and make you more effective as workers in the harvest. Now, real quick here, I know it's, it's getting kind of long, but I wanted to show you some testimonies. I was actually going to play it during the announcement video, but I was like, ah, I can't. But I still want you guys to hear these testimonies. Some of you might know some of these people. They're kind of big wigs uh, within our denomination stuff. But I want to play you. There's, there's three different testimonies. It'll be about another five minutes. Hold on with me here. But after we watch these, I just hope you'll be encouraged. And then we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come down and just work in each of our lives. That's what we're going to do today on this Pentecost Sunday. And we won't get a complete reenactment because the Lord has already done what he's done. But let's hope and pray that, that the Holy Spirit just fills folks today. So uh, Benton is at the computer. So Benton, go ahead, just click on one, it'll stop, and then you can click on I just on want to encourage one. you to believe for more. I can tell you this, sometimes we think God wants to do it for other people. But God wants to do it for everyone, and I want you to have your faith rise up. My own son was healed of autism. Now, I know people say that can't happen, but my son was in special ed for two years. He would line everything up like a train. He couldn't make eye contact. And one day after church, with just a simple prayer, we laid hands on him and prayed for him. A prophecy was given that God would heal our son for his glory. Our son started to look up at us. He no longer made the train. We brought him to special ed. The teacher said, what happened to Connor? I'm telling you, we told her that he was healed. She brought him the supervisor. They could not believe what God had done. I want you to believe for more. I was in a position where I saw God as a loving God. I saw him as a kind God, but I didn't believe for more. And that day changed me forever. I believe God for more. I believe that God wants to do the miraculous. I believe he wants to heal. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can lean into this. There's no shortage of supply. And I'm saying believe for more. My husband and I have the opportunity to minister to women and children who have been sold into prostitution and to be part of that rescue and restoration. 
One Sunday morning, it was Mother's Day, and I was in a church in Spain where some of these young women, teenagers, were in the morning service. And at the end of the service, we went to the front and invited women, men, in the service to come for prayer. And suddenly a young woman stood in front of me, an African young woman, with tears running down her face. And she was asking for prayer. I took her in my arms and I said, my daughters are not here today, but you'll be my daughter this morning. Can I pray for you? And as I began to pray, I felt led of the Spirit to pray a specific kind of prayer. I began to pray over her. The tears just started coming down and her whole face changed. It wasn't until the end of the service that I discovered that this young woman who had been trafficked, trafficked from prostitution, for prostitution, from an early age, and now was 18, after 10 years of slavery, in this place where she was being restored, no one knew her name. But that morning as I had prayed over her, the Spirit had given me words, and I had prayed over her using her name repeatedly, telling her that God loved her. At the end, she said, for the first time, I know there's a God. He loves me, and He knows my name. Thank you. If it wasn't for being able to rely on the anointing and guidance of the Holy Spirit, we could not begin to minister to those in sexual slavery. We totally depend on the work of the Spirit. I'm an introvert. So when it came to thinking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I, I was scared to death of going down front and people laying their hands on me and, and all that. I, I was just, the thought of that almost made me break out in hives. It was a Sunday night, the end of service, and the pastor called people forward to the altar if they wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And with, with some hesitation, I went down. And sure enough, I was surrounded by people. And they were praying loudly and, and I was shutting down. I wasn't thinking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about getting out of there. And one, one old lady, the church grandma, came down. She knew me and she recognized what was going on. And she just shooed all those people away. And she knelt down next to me and she said, Rodney, are you ready to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I said, I am very quietly, no sensationalism. I didn't shout, I didn't dance, I didn't jump. She prayed with me and I began to pray in my prayer language. I'm so thankful for a church grandma that knew it didn't always have to happen with big emotion and big excitement, but the Holy Spirit would work within the confines of my personality and, and gloriously fill me. Praise God. That actually was not the testimony I would have had for that last guy. His name is Rod Loy. He actually had another uh, testimony in which the Holy Spirit had healed his, his daughter-in-law. She, she almost died. He was praying for her, uh, but they had just had a kid, and he was like, why am I praying this? He, he just felt this urge uh, that, you know, we need to pray for her. And then another person, the church called up and said, hey, I'm praying for so-and-so. Uh, later found out, like, within 48 hours, she had, like, a major drop in blood pressure and everything. And 
through that prayer, she ended up being healed. But that, that was just as well, too, because some of you might be sitting here thinking, this is bogus, and I, I don't want to believe in this stuff. And listen, I can't force you. All I can do is tell you. And it is up to you to work through the Holy Spirit. You know, what does the Bible say? Work through your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's up to you. It's up to you to be like, well, it was presented. Now what do I do? Do I move forward? Do I go through with this? Do I allow the Lord to move in me in this way? Do, I, do you maybe have to push away some of your preconceived notions about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does? Maybe not. Maybe some of you are good to go, and that's awesome. But today, I just want to take some time to allow the Holy Spirit to move into people. Why don't you stand with me today? And we're just going to go after the Lord today. Now, listen. The Holy Spirit will only work through those who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the one caveat. That is the one thing. I mean, he does work through, like, like I said, he spoke through a mule. Actually, some may say that was Jesus that was speaking through the mule. But anyways, but, but to really get the effective work of the Holy Spirit and for you to understand it, it's, it's to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to know that he died on the cross, fulfilling what God had established so, so many years before, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And that when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that you have to believe that. Once you do that, first of all, the Holy Spirit does come upon you immediately. Lord, I'm here, and, and you're, you're, you're baptized into the church. You're, you're into the church. But then as you look, in, especially if you were to read in the book of Acts, there's then this second thing that happens, what, what Pastor Rod Loy was talking about in that last testimony, that baptism of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus spiritually takes you and he just, it's like he dunks you into the Holy Spirit. And then the power just moves. Now, like I said, the early church had, had, had figured out that when that happens, typically people were speaking in tongues. Now, what you have to be careful of is, well, I just want to start speaking in tongues then. That's not what it is. What you want to do is just seek after the Lord and say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. First, I need you, Lord. Second, I need your Holy Spirit. Please give it to me. <laughs> Please. Let's go after the Lord today. Father, I thank you for each person that's here, Lord. For each person that's, that's technically standing at a crossroads, though they may not even realize it, Lord. If you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, friends, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can simply agree with me. And all you need to say is, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I accept you as the leader of my life. And I will do everything I can to follow you with the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given me. So if that's you today, I just want you to go after the Lord, even, even if it's been a while. And maybe, maybe you've said it before, maybe you've understood it before, but man, you know you haven't been living for God. Just say, Jesus, I need your help. I need you to forgive me. I need you to make me whole. I need you to make me new again. Just cry out to him, and he will save you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and bring conviction.
to the people that need it today, Lord God. To be forgiven of their sins, to be made whole, to be made new, Lord. And as they, as they say to you, I believe in you, Father, I pray that they will feel the burdens of this life, lift off their shoulders knowing that you have empowered them to be free from the bondages of sin, Lord God. Father, I pray right now for a supernatural freedom within each individual here today, Lord, that the world has no power, that Satan has no power, that you have all the power and that you can bring them freedom, Lord God. I pray for that freedom right now, Lord God. I pray for that salvation right now, Lord God. Move in power in people's lives. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise you, God. Praise you, God. This second aspect of of closing up this service, friends, I just want to give you the opportunity to go after the Lord. Now, listen, there is... There's nothing magical about being up here, okay? There isn't. But there is something about us coming together and praying for each other. And the Bible even says that. And when you look throughout the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit fell on people, it was because people were praying for other people. And literally as their hands were laid on them, whether it was their head or their shoulders or whatever, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. And so today, I want that opportunity to be open for, for every, everybody that's here that has declared Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So today, like I said, I'm not going to force anybody. If you would like for the Holy Spirit to move in your life, I want you to come forward, and then we're going to pray for you. We're going to lay hands on you. So if you're like, you know what? I need the Holy Spirit in my life. Or maybe it's, it's been a while. I haven't worked in the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to be working in the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it may be, I just want you to start coming forward. And you can either kneel at the steps here. You can stand. You can, however, if you want to kneel on a chair in the front, however you want to do it, however you feel correct, I don't know what word to use there, and just start seeking after the Lord. And for those of you that have the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that do come to our church, that are members of our church, I want you guys that, that, that may not be a part of that particular prayer to just begin to lay your hands on, on, on the heads and the shoulders of those that are praying up here and, and just begin to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to move in people's lives. And like, like Rob Loy had said, it wasn't everybody else. It was when grandma shooed everybody away. And then she came up and said, you want the Holy Spirit? We don't have to make it all crazy. We don't have to make it goofy. I don't have to make you uncomfortable. But I want you to seek after the Lord today and see what he does. So I'm just going to start praying. As I start praying, if you want to, just come on forward and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your lives. Allow him to move in your lives as, as you're speaking If you feel another language starting to come out, just speak it. Just say it. Just do it. I'm not going to sit here and say, start saying it. I'm not going to make you do it. I'm not going to encourage you. I'm not going to push you in that way. I don't want that to happen. I want the spirit to move in you. But if it happens, free yourselves, friends, and just go after the Lord. 
So I'm going to open this up. If you want that prayer, come on forward. Just say, I want more of the Holy Spirit. God, I just pray right now for your Holy Spirit to rest in this place, Lord. Not just here up in the front, Lord God, but throughout this building, Lord God. Downstairs with the kids, out in the seats, Lord God. Father, as people come, Lord, as people seek after you, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move in power, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that people will will know that they are empowered to preach your gospel, to go after you, Lord God, to see people saved, Lord God, to increase your kingdom, Lord God. Move in people's lives today, Lord God. Speak to their hearts, Lord. Move in power today, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, God. Again, friends, if, if you're good, if you know you're baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, you want to come and pray for some of these folks, I just want to encourage you to go ahead and do it. It doesn't have to be just me, uh, just because I'm a pastor. You can come and, and help us out here and allow the Spirit to work in you. Let's go after the Lord today. Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life.